0: Yo, what is up? How you guys doing in the morning? You guys alive? You guys alive and well? Shaking the head? No, not alive. Tired? Yeah? Still excited? Who drank coffee? Wow. Me too, me too. I needed it. Hey, I, I do have some shout outs. Uh, I, got, I got my boy Dominic with his sticks. Where are you at? Yeah. Waving that stick around, and the mermaids, the mermaids part two, I see you. Also, who, who are, who's in the group of girls that were just sitting out front before chapel just reading your Bibles, where are you guys at? Front and center, killer, you guys are awesome, love it, I love seeing that, that's great. We are here, day two, this is the second session, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, we are going through what it looks like to live life under the sun My name is Stevie, you guys are all you, and I'm excited to be here. So, you guys all excited? You guys good? Okay, I'm trying to get you guys a little bit excited. All right, well, hey, a couple years ago, a couple years ago, I have a wife, like I said, I have my kid. But a couple years ago, before we had our kid, I was driving down my old town, visiting my mom. She still lives there. It's a city called Escondido. Anyone familiar with Escondido? Yeah, yeah. Affectionately, we call it Escondido. Uh, so we grew up in Eskengedo. Uh We were driving past my old baseball park. This was the spot that I lived most of my life. And so what I would say every time we'd drive past that baseball park, I'd turn to my wife and I'd say, hey, babe, you know I used to play ball there, right? And she's like, yes, we've driven past it for the eight years that we have been together. Like, I know... They used to play ball there. And this time, uh, she didn't laugh. Usually she laughs. She's like, you know, she just tries to, like, make me feel better about me thinking that I'm funny. And so she didn't laugh this time. This time she just turned and she said, hey, you're really kind of caught up in that time of your life, aren't you? And I was like, me? Me? Caught up? In middle school? No. No. No, I'm not caught up in that time of my life. Like, that's, that's not what I'm doing. But I was offended jokingly. But the reality was, is she was right. I was stuck in this time of my life. I was stuck at that park, to be more specific. Because here's the thing, at that park, and you guys might have familiar things like that too, where you're like, that thing just draws all the memories. And that park is where I pursued my dreams of becoming a professional baseball player. Like I was so proud of the fact that I was an all-star four years in a row. I was so proud of that. I used to spend all of my Saturdays there. I used to go there during the week for practice. That's where POD, pile of dirt, where my bike jumps were. So I'd go there every day after school, after hitting 7-Eleven with all my Slurpees and all my snacks. And we would sit there for hours just jumping the jumps in the back, trying to prove how cool I was or how reckless I was and how daredevil-y I was. I used to run around that park with my friends. We used to do some hood rat things there. We used to do some really fun things and some really bad things. I explored the world there. There were trails that I used to run around when I was there. I got in a couple fights there. You know, so there was like a time when I was like I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm tough." Remember I was 4 foot 9, so I was just trying to prove myself. I had my first kiss there. Uh-huh. 4 years old baby. 4 years old. Underneath the bleachers. I don't I don't know who she was. My, uh, my, mom, my mom caught me, and, uh, and I got in trouble, and she will not let it down to this day. Four years old, I was underneath those bleachers. All of those memories. I also hit my teacher in the face with a water balloon there. Great story. No, no, no. You guys, most of you guys have heard that story. I'm not, But that all happened at this park. So you can tell this park meant a lot to me. And it just was, it was this time that I would go back all of these memories, all of my childhood, it was all there and I was stuck. I would drive past and I, all these things would come flooding back and I'd be like, oh, I remember I was pursuing that dream. Oh, I remember I was chasing that. Oh, I remember I was so popular. Oh, I remember I was so cool. I was so daredevil And I used to think about those things. The park represented a time in my life that I was just searching. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just looking for meaning and purpose in the fights. I was looking for meaning and purpose in baseball and being an athlete and being fun or in girls, even though I was only four years old. It represented this time that I was just pursuing anything and everything to find my worth and to find my validation, to find who I was, and that park was where I was at, and my wife Called me out on it. Here I was 15 years later driving past that park with my wife as a pastor, not a professional baseball player, finally realizing that I was searching back then. I was just on this treadmill of trying to figure out who I was and all of those things that I pursued. Being a professional athlete, not bad, but the way I was pursuing it. Having my friends, not bad except for the way that I was doing it and all the hood rat things that I did. Hitting your teacher in the face with a water balloon, never a good idea. But I did it all there. See, most of the things that I did at this park led to regret. And even if it didn't lead to regret, it just failed. It failed to be the source of meaning and purpose in my life. And I looked back and I'm like, man, that never paid off. And so this park represented that for me. So we are going to go back to Ecclesiastes. If you guys have your Bibles, throw them up in the. Er- All right. Turn in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 1. That's big number 2, little number 1. And when you get there, throw up a shaka and a shoe. All right. Shaka and a shoe. Does anyone else have a park like that where you're like, man, that's where. That's where I grew up. That's the stuff. Yeah. All right. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Okay. Ecclesiastes, big number two, little number one. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasures. Enjoy yourself. He's he's talking to himself. So now he's talking to himself. Good job. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the very few days of life. You guys ever dream of being a hero? Because like, like you, you hear those stories on the news or on TikTok, and they're just going viral, and it's the story of these people who just pulled. They were at the right place at the right time, right? Like they were standing behind the burglar at 7-Eleven. The guy, like, starts pulling out a weapon, and that person's just like, boom, and they, like, stop the burglar, and they're now the hero. And then 7-Eleven gives them free Slurpees for the rest of their life. Or the person who's like walking along a river and they see a dog that's out in the really cold water and it's not gonna make it, so they swim out there and they save the dog and everyone's like, you're a hero. You guys ever dream of those moments of just being in the right place at the right time? Uh, I always dreamed of those moments and one time I thought I had that moment. I was in my car with my wife, we were parked, uh, we were at a stoplight and we were sitting behind this other car and we're listening to worship music so I was even extra pumped up, right? I was like extra ready to do some really cool stuff. And so I'm listening to worship music, and there's this car in front of me. And next thing I know, there's just like this plume of smoke that just starts coming out of this car. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the car's on fire. Why aren't they getting out? No one's getting out of the car. It's on fire. They're going to die. I was like, wait, this is my moment. I'm going to be a hero. This is the moment that I'm going to save them. I'm going to make the news. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be big. And so I'm getting all excited. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to do this. This is the moment. Just, meanwhile, a person's in the car. It's, all, it's like smoking, and I'm just like trying to talk myself up. I'm okay, okay, this is the moment. I'm finally going to do it. I'm all hyped up on worship music. And before I could even put the car in park and unbuckle myself so I can go out and save this person and pull them out of the fiery car, the smoke was gone. I was like, what the heck? This was my moment. What happened to the car? And just after that, the smoke returned. This massive plume comes and it starts smoking again. I'm like, what is happening? And then I quickly realized this car's not on fire. They're just vaping. Why do they got to make so much smoke like that? And I was like, this guy, man, he's like, he's vaping, and I'm thinking I'm going to be a hero, and now I'm all let down because I thought this was my moment I was going to save this person, and all it was was just vape, and it was gone in a moment, and my, my heroism was all of a sudden not going to happen. See, Solomon is using this word Vanity. He says, all of these things that I'm doing in life, living life under the sun, living as if God is irrelevant, as if eternity is not real. And when you live that way, seeking after money, seeking after women, seeking after men, seeking after popularity, seeking after all of those things, all of it is vanity. And the word vanity is vapor. It is breath. It is mist. It means that it is hollow It is empty, there's no substance, and it will disappear in a moment. Like when you look at someone who vapes, and that vape is immediately gone. This is what Solomon is saying about life under the sun. Without eternity, it is all vapor. It might look like something right now, but it is empty. And so he... Goes on by concluding, he said, I said with my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And so he says he tested himself. How many of you guys love tests? I had this one teacher, I think it was like freshman year, I walked in. Like, I'm just like a nerd, right? I've got, I'm like still four foot nine. I've got my braces and I'm like walking in and I'm just trying to fit in. And then my teacher's like, we got a test. I'm like, it's the first day. We haven't even studied anything yet. Isn't teachers ever do that to you? Like, what's, that, what's up with that? And so, there, so so, we don't like being tested, but this is what he's saying. He said, I'm going to test myself. Now, the word for test in Hebrew is the word NASA. Can you say NASA? NASA, exactly. I did look it up. It is not the same thing as a space organization, but that can actually be helpful for you as you think about it because what does NASA do? They test rockets. They test the astronauts. They put them through training. They put them through assessments. They shoot rockets up in the air to make sure that they don't explode, and sometimes They do, right? This is what testing means. It means that like a student is getting tested or when you walk onto a bridge, you're testing if that bridge can actually hold you or you test the new iPhone by sending out the prototype to people to actually try it and test it. See, a wise teacher assesses the quality of something by testing it. I used to climb trees all of the time. Like I said, I was a menace. I was absolutely wild. And I was climbing this tree one time. I remember this one really vividly. I was really high up in the tree, and I got onto this one branch, and the branch just fell from underneath me, just completely broke. And you know, like, you guys ever watch, like, Pinball Machines? And that was me. It felt like a cartoon. I was just, like, every branch down and I just like hit all of the branches until I finally hit the ground. I think I fell like 30 feet, but my, my fall was stopped by all of the branches. I just bounced all of the way down. And this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying testing. Testing is putting all of your weight on a branch to see if it's going to hold you. Just like I put my weight on that branch and it didn't hold me, he said, I'm testing. And so the first branch that he says, I'm going to put my weight on, the first branch that he says, I'm going to test, I'm going to see if this can actually give me meaning and purpose, if this can actually hold me, that first branch is what he says is pleasure. He said, I enjoyed myself. I drank a lot of wine. I partied a lot. See, if it felt good, then it must have been good. And so what Solomon is saying, and when he found in drinking all of this wine and going to all the parties, what he said is what a lot of people have already found out is you might feel good in a moment, but your problems continue when you wake up not feeling good. It doesn't pay off. This is worldly wisdom. The worldly wisdom that you and I hear is that if it feels good, it must be good. And that is just not true. Lots of things feel good, but in the end, they devastate your life. I've seen so many people blow up their lives because something felt good in a moment, but it destroyed the rest of their lives. And he's saying, I put my weight on that branch and it didn't hold up. He had 700 wives, 300 of the most beautiful women in the land, and he's miserable. He's searching for meaning and pleasure and all of these things. He says, that stick won't hold you. Verse 4, he said, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water, where I can water the forest to grow trees. So the next stick that he stands on, the next stick in this tree that he says, I'm going to put my weight on it, I'm going to test it to see if it can hold me, is the stick of projects, of building things, of of all of the things that he owns. And this guy had projects. It talks about his house. He's like, I built houses. This is a well-known fact. It took 13 years to build his palace. He had a palace. And not only did he have a palace, he had vineyards. Not like a vine. He had vineyards, multiples of them. Your family, you have a dying plant in the corner. He's got like Central Park, right? He's got vineyards. Verse 7, he said, I bought male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone before me in Jerusalem. You know, he had 30,000 employees, 30,000 employees. What does Hume Sokal have? 30? Like 30 employees? He had 30,000. You read other places. He had a cupbearer. A cupbearer. Could you imagine someone following you around with a Stanley? And you're you're just like, hmm, I'm a little bit of And he's like, oh, here you go, king, you know? And just like they give you the Stanley cup, like whenever you want it. He has people who are there to wait on his every need, everything he has. It says he has herds of animals, herds of them. You have a wiener dog and a worthless cat, and a turtle named Carlos, right? He's got herds of animals. At one of his parties that he had, again, this is a well-documented party. At one of his parties, it says that he served 22,000 cows. That's not 22,000 steaks or 22,000 ribeyes. This is 22,000 full-fledged cows, full Cows, And then to add on top of that 150,000 sheep, whatever you can think of, Solomon has more. Whatever you could imagine, he has more. His income, like I said, was $2.2 trillion. That means that he's making $2,740,000 a day. I got my first job. I worked at Papa John's. You guys see that for me? Big Papa John's guy. I slapped the dough. I didn't make it. You know what I mean? I made $7 an hour. $7 $7 an hour. This guy's making million dollars a day. This is documented historical facts. And you might be like, dude, this guy seems fake, right? He just seems like a bot. He seems fake. It's like as if we got a crew of sixth graders around, and we said, hey, let's, like, think of, like, the most incredible person. Like, let's just make, like, we're building almost like, like a character in our video game. Let's make the person with, like, the most superpowers. Let's get this guy married. And we're like, okay, cool, cool. How, how married? Like, super married. So, like, super, like lots of wives. Like, like, like 10 wives? No, no, no. 100 wives. More. 1,000 wives. Yeah. Yeah. Super married. Hey, let, let's make him like uber rich. Uber rich? Okay, like $10 million. No, no, no. More. A billion? No. Double it. Double it. That's nuts. Let's give him horses. Because everyone loves horses. Horses basically rule the world. We'll give them horses. Those frolic around, right? He seems like a fake human being, but friends, can I tell you, this is rooted in history. Again, if you don't believe the Bible, which you should, can I also say you could Google it and you can look it up. Solomon is a real dude. These are real facts. He really lived. He really had everything, and he really wrote this book, We are reading something from a real human, a real person, in real history, inspired by the Spirit of God, to tell us, don't repeat the experiment. And his conclusion, when he had everything, everything in the entire world, his conclusion is without God, if there's no eternity, life under the sun, it is not it. In verse 8, it says that he has singers, Like, that's the ultimate flex. You guys have Drake's new album. He has certified lover boy in the corner on standby after Olivia Rodrigo, right? Ultimate flex. He says, I have everything, and I have poured it all dry, and it is a vape. It's like hugging a cloud. It's nothing. And my question for you is, how much is enough? How much is enough? When you have fill in the blank, then you'll be happy? when when this happens when this fill in the blank when this is what i what i have in life then finally i'll feel like life will actually be good what's your answer how would you answer that question when is enough there's this really really rich person really famous person in history his name was rockefeller he had this famous quote when he was asked that question how much is enough rockefeller and he said one more dollar richest man one more dollar in verse 10, Solomon says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And he goes on and on and on. He said, I refused myself nothing. Ask me anything and I've done it. Ask me anything and I've had it. I didn't refuse myself anything. And he says, The theme just repeats again and again and again. It is meaningless. And this should be annoying to you at this point. You should be over it at this point. Like, okay, Solomon, we get it. Bring some joy. And here's the thing, reading Ecclesiastes, you're supposed to feel like that. You're supposed to be annoyed. You're supposed to feel the despair because what he's trying to let you know is do not repeat the experiment. Don't run through the same bushes. There are thorn bushes. Don't stand on that branch. It will not hold your weight. And what's crazy is we can look back at Solomon and say like, yeah, but that was a guy that happened like 3,000 years ago. We have modern day examples of Solomon. You guys know Tom Brady? Of course we know Tom Brady. He is the actual Facts, goat of football. He is actually just factually the goat of football. Years ago, before uh, before he won six Super Bowl rings, he only had three Super Bowl rings. He had multiple MVPs. He is married to the supermodel of all supermodels, and he was being interviewed. and In this interview, he said, "I have everything. I've got the rings. I've got the accolades. I've got the wife. I have everything. I have." everything I'm 27 years old I've achieved everything and then he said is this all there is is this all that there is to offer there has to be something more Tom Brady and we're reading Ecclesiastes and we're thinking you're just ripping off the Bible Tom Solomon already tried this why are you doing the same thing you're asking the question that Solomon already answered or if you guys know Jim Carrey you guys know Jim Carrey Jim Carrey's from Dumb and Dumber, Bruce Almighty, Yes Man, The Grinch, Live Action, Ace Ventura, The Mask. He's like an old actor, right? But he's super wealthy, super successful. He had everything that you could ever want. He has this famous quote where he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. What about Brad Pitt? You guys know Brad? Was he one of those guys when I said, who's like a good-looking guy? And you guys were like, Brad Pitt, yeah? Good, yeah. Brad Pitt's a good-looking guy. Again, he's a super successful actor. He has been married to multiple actresses and celebrities. He's not very good at keeping those marriages. But he's super rich. He's super famous. He's super good-looking. And this is what he said in an interview with Rolling Stones. He says, man, I know all of these things are supposed to seem important to us, right? The car, the condo, our versions of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feel out there reflecting more of powerlessness and isolation and despair and loneliness? I mean, if you ask me, I say toss all this. we got to find something else. Because all I know is that at this point in time, we are headed for a dead end, a numbing of the soul. The interviewer says, so if we're headed towards this kind of dead end, what do you think should happen? And he says, hey, man, I don't seem to have the answers. And we're like, we have the answers. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. He says, I'm sitting in it. And I'm telling you, it's not it. Whether you want to listen to me or not, I say that to the reader. I say that to you. This is not it. Hey, I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you have everything then you're just left with yourself. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, it doesn't help you sleep any better. You don't wake up any better because of it. When will you finally be happy? One more dollar? One more boyfriend? One more drink? When you finally get to live on your own, when you finally get into that college you want, when you finally make it in the pros, when you finally get straight A's, when you finally don't feel pain anymore, when you finally have people who like you, I mean, fill in the blank. When are you finally going to be happy? And this is what Solomon is saying, and this is what Tom Brady is saying, this is what Jim Carrey and Brad Pitt are saying. They're saying, you can stand on all of the branches, but I'm telling you, those branches cannot hold your weight. They're not going to give you what you're looking for, so they aren't strong enough. And so what happens when you put your weight on a branch that isn't strong enough? It fails. It falls. And you fall. And so far, I've been talking about how it fails you under the sun. How going to pleasures and alcohol and dating, having all of the money or vineyards or horses or the new Tesla truck, whatever it may be, how having all of those things, they leave you empty in this life. And that is really true, right? If you go to find happiness in those things, you're going to find that those branches will fail and you will leave, it will be left empty. But there's something else that I need to tell you because... Solomon is trying to tell us it's not just under the sun. It's not just in this life that you're going to feel the emptiness of it. Because what he's trying to tell you is there's more than under the sun. Today and tomorrow until you die is not all that there is. There is an eternity out there. And if we don't stand on the branch of God, if we stand on all these other failing branches, we will live eternity with a sense of vanity. We will never find the meaning and the purpose and we will live eternity apart from God. He's saying everything is vapor, everything is meaningless, and he says apart from eternity, everything. Everything is just a grasping for a cloud. Romans 1:25 says that we worship created things instead of the creator. See, birds fly, dogs bark, fish swim, humans we worship We all worship something. We all decide to trust something. We all decide to put our weight on something, right? We either worship pleasure and we walk out onto that branch, the branch of pleasure, and we say, this is going to hold my weight. Or we all worship relationships, and we walk out onto that branch of relationships, and we say, this relationship, this one's going to hold my weight. Or we, we worship possessions and stuff, and we walk out onto that branch, and we say, this is going to hold our weight. We worship the approval of others, and we say, this is going to hold our weight. And guys, we can even worship being a good person. Yeah, man, I don't do anything bad. I'm a good person. As if us being a good person is going to be good enough to hold the weight. Can I tell you? Anything, anytime we stand on a branch that is not God, anytime we stand on a branch that is weak and that will not hold our weight, anytime we go to other things outside of God, this is called sin. Sin is disordered desires. It's when you take all of these things that you have and you place them above God. It's whenever you trust anything more God, Because here's the thing, it's not bad for you to enjoy your friends at all. But it is sin when you want so badly to be liked by other people and popularity that you put that over God. You pursue those things instead of God so that you can feel good, you can feel okay, and you can feel loved. Right? It's not bad for you to enjoy having a super cool pink flip phone. But when we care about the stuff. More than God, then it's sin. What happens if we lose our stuff all of a sudden? Do we hate God? Would we feel lost? It's not bad for us to have a fun time or even a good time. But when we say, This is what it means to have a good time, I'm going to do things that God says is going to hurt me. I'm going to do things that I know I shouldn't do in order to have a good time. We're essentially telling God, You're small. You're not big, you're not awesome, you're not powerful, you're not creator. I'm going to tell you what to do, God, and every time we do that, it's called sin. It's, it means that we're trying to determine life on our own. Sin is Disordered desires. Sin is when we stand on the branches that Solomon is telling us do not stand on, or we're running through the bushes. And he says, "I've already run through those bushes," and we do it anyways. Romans three says, "None is righteous, not even one." And Ecclesiastes seven twenty says, "Surely there's no righteous man on earth who does good and never sins." Every one of us sins. You. Me, your youth pastors, every one of us have put things ahead of God. Every one of us have stood on branches that are not God. Every one of us have felt the fall of what it's like when we put that. See, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Let me explain to you a little bit of the principle of sin. And I know this is heavy. We're going to get to a really good and gracious God, but we have to understand that even though God is gracious, sin is not. Even though God wants to forgive, sin is unforgiving. And so this is what, this is what it talks about in James 1.17. It says, each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire is dragged away and enticed. And after desire has conceived and gave birth to sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I heard this story. There was this lady, really weird lady, who lived in Florida, which, you know, I feel like if you live in Florida... I don't know, maybe. I had, a, I had an uncle. Everyone has an uncle. I had an uncle that lived in Florida. And he was like the crazy uncle. And so now I've got this weird thing about people who live in Florida. So she lived in Florida. And here's how crazy she was. She had a python. She's like, oh, this would be a great pet. You know, most people have dogs. And she's like, I'm going to have a python, 25-foot python. And so she has this pet python living in her house. And, uh, and she would wake up in the middle of the night, multiple nights in a row, and this python is just laying flat next to her. Like, fully spread out. And she's like, that's kind of weird. I guess it just, like, wants to cuddle. It's, like, kind of cool, you know? I love my python. And after a few weeks, she's like, okay, this is a little bit strange. I'm going to call the animal control and just kind of try to get this figured out. And so they call animal control. And the guy comes over, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is what pythons do. What the python was doing is he was laying next to you. He was measuring his body against your body to see if you'd fit inside. He was going to eat you. And this is what sin is. This is where we let something into our house. We say, oh, you're cute. You're a pet. When in reality, it's just measuring you up. It's just getting ready to gobble you. It's getting ready to kill you. That is the nature of sin. See, the thing is, sin is not like a good dog that will just hang out in a corner until you tell it to come. It is always pursuing you. It is always working to your demise. It is always trying to destroy you. Sin overrides us. Sin is actually the easiest thing to prove, but the hardest thing for us to accept. Sin cannot be held back. It is working to undo us. I'm telling you guys some of the worst news. Sin is inside of you. We have a sin machine inside of us that is working against us, that is infecting everything that we do. Ephesians 2 says all of us. Lived among them, lived amongst the world at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires. Did you catch that? Sin, like a python, has its own desires, its own cravings, which means you want to do something good, you want to be a loving person, you want to be a good friend, you want to be honest you want to do well in life, and yet there's this thing inside of you that sabotages that. You guys ever want to do something good, and all of a sudden you do something, you're like, why did I do that? Why, why did I just hurt that relationship? I didn't want to do that. Why did I just so disobey my parent? I didn't want to do that. The best way I know how to describe it, and, and I did this last, I think it just makes so much sense. The best way I know how to describe it, it's when you go on to summer break and you're kicking it at your house. And you're just sitting there and you're crushing episodes of Stranger Things until your eyes are bleeding, right? And then you think to yourself about the fridge. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go check to see what mom has. What did mom get from the store? And so you go to the fridge and you open it and you notice the only thing that's in there is a jar of pickles and Hershey's syrup. And for a moment, you consider the combination. You're like, maybe, maybe that'll be really good. But then you realize, I'm not a disgusting human being. I'm not going to do that. And so you go back and you sit down and you watch Demogorgons, which are just like sin, and they're trying to eat people. And then 10 minutes later, what do you do? You check the dang fridge. 10 minutes later, you you go, oh, I wonder what my mom got. You want to know why you do that? It's not because your brain logically went, you know, I believe that all of a sudden there will be dino nuggies, waffles, and lasagna that will appear inside of the fridge, no, because listen, listen to this. It's not because you're using your rational mind. Because if you're using your rational mind, you would know I've checked the fridge. In fact, I actually just ate an entire bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos and a Slurpee from 7-Eleven. I'm feeling a bit gassy and I don't need food right now. But something inside of you and something inside of me overrode that and said, check fridge now. Like a caveman. We are appetite-driven, mood-driven, unconsciously driven, and there's this part of us that we understand that does this thing that we don't even want to do. It's not our rational mind. It's the sin inside of us. We all have sin inside of us, and it is betraying us. What Solomon is saying, he's trying to tell you, don't repeat the experiment. Don't run through these bushes. But you know what he's also telling us? You're already running through those bushes, You're already repeating that experiment. You're already living in a way where you're trusting other things other than God, which is why Solomon is trying to say, under the sun, don't. It's meaningless. And it's going to kill you. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That desire inside of you to do the thing that you know you don't want to do, that desire inside of you that sabotages the good that you want to do, That thing that you're born with that says stand on this branch, even though you know that Tom Brady and Jim Carrey and Solomon already stood on that branch and said it doesn't work, but you're going to stand on it anyways. That thing inside of you is ultimately going to kill you. And this is not just death here and now. This is spiritual death, separation from God. Why? Because sin is always against God. Sin is we we say, God, you're not good. God, you're not holy. It's when we don't fear God. We say, God, you're not awesome. I don't want to be with you. I want to choose everything else other than you, and God's going to honor that. You don't want to be with me? The wages of sin is death. See, the reality is, is God is life. God is joy. God is peace. He's the author of life. And so if we want to live life separated from life, the only answer of the opposite of life is death. We walk in death. So I'm telling you guys the worst news we are in this relentless, restless cycle. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. And we live in sin. Ephesians 2, one more time. I'm invite the worship team to come on up. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful desires. And we follow its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath, And verse 4 starts off like this. But God. But God. Who will save us from sin? Who will save us from the chasing after the wind? Who will save us from life under the sun? But God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we know that talking about sin is not fun. I know that talking about sin is... Is not fun. I know it's something that, it's something that we don't love about ourselves. It's why we chase after the wind, God. It's something that we try to hide from. It's something that we don't want to feel the uncomfortable nature of it, God. And so we we try to tidy ourselves. But Lord, the reality is, is we're exhausted. We realize that it's not working. We realize that we're chasing after the wind. We realize that we're grasping for something that never satisfies. And so, Lord, I pray. That right now, if there's any of us that just feel shame because of our sin, that you would actually lift our heads because tonight there's a story that is so beautiful. That you are a God who loves us even more than our sin hates us. So Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen.